It's great to be here. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors. And uh, if you have your Bible and you want to turn to John chapter 18, we'll continue on in our service, in our series called The Word. Um, <clears throat> before we get to that, I do uh, want to make sure those clipboards get going. It looks like they already are for signing up for ministry opportunities around here. As Josh said, we'd love to have you uh, serving in some capacity. We actually do have quite a few needs for the fall. And uh, make sure you sign up and you fill in for one of those needs. Uh, and also next week is typically the third Sunday of September is kind of our fall launch. We're back into it. Kids are back in school. We're back into our uh, normal routines of life. Less vacations. Boo. Uh, more structure. More schedule. So next week is our big fall launch. We all, all, always call it, also call it, our Fall Friends Day, and so invite your friends to come out to church, to come out with you to church next week. We are going to have Kona Ice showing up one more time with us to serve those gourmet snow cones as they did last year, and so uh, make sure you come on out. The kids love those. I, let's just face it. I love those. Uh, let's just be real here, uh, and so come on out. Bring your friends next week for uh, a mini-series that we're going to start about the storms of life, Into the Storm. Uh, I think is what we're calling it, and uh, as we just look at a couple of topics over the next couple of weeks, and how we approach those as Christians, how we approach those from a gospel worldview. And so, uh, come on out, invite your friends for that. Uh, let's read our text this morning. We're going to read our text and get right into it. So if you have your Bible, John chapter 18, starting in verse 28, we're going to read. It says this, Dan, I just realized, I don't know if I put any of my scriptures in today, but I'm sorry. Try to keep up. I just, as I said it, I'm like, I failed. I failed to do something. So, John chapter 18, starting in verse 28. This is why you bring your Bibles to church. Okay, we've been feeding you that, we've been feeding you that screen for far too long. Now we've conditioned you. Uh, so bring your Bibles to church. John chapter 18, verse 28, it says, Then Jesus, then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. Pay attention to these words, okay? So Pilate went outside to them, went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by which kind of death he was going to die. Verse 33, so Pilate entered his headquarters and again, uh, again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or do others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. 
But you have a custom that I should release a man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Before we dig into this, let's pray once again this morning and ready our hearts to receive God's word. So Father, again, we come before you with humble hearts. I pray for humble hearts. And I pray for those pesky distractions that we bring into this place today. God, I pray that your spirit, your word, your gospel would eclipse any distraction, any situation, and not just eclipse it, but answer it, would be injected into it, would redeem situations today because our eyes are more clearly fixed on you. Not in this world, not in ourselves, not in our problems, but you. So guys, so, so God, please help us. Help us by your spirit today. See and behold Christ and the beauty and power of the gospel in our lives personally. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is a fascinating interaction that we just read here between a couple different people groups. Now, you've got three, three main groups here. You've got the Jewish elite, right? You've got the chief priests, the Pharisees. You've got the rulers of the Jews. You've got Pilate, governor of Rome, and you've got Jesus. Three different groups, three different people in this story with vastly different perspectives, vastly different worldviews, vastly different uh, paradigms and, and lenses that they're viewing the situation from. They're all coming to this moment with a different focus. So you've got the, the chief priests, you've got the ruling Jews, right? And they have this very religious worldview. They're seemingly pious, they're seemingly righteous, but clearly their hearts are filthy. Clearly their hearts are, are, are vile, their, their motives are vile and selfish. Jesus always had a problem with the religious elite, right? And think about Matthew chapter 23 when he's pronouncing his woes, right, to the, to the, uh, the, the scribes and Pharisees. He says, listen, you guys are like whitewashed tomb. Like on the outside, you guys are white, pristine, perfect, clean. But on the inside, it's, it's a rotting corpse. Right? They've got this religious uh, projection, this righteous, pious projection, but their hearts inside are filthy. Read the text again this morning. John chapter 18, verse 28 says, they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but would eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusations do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to him, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So we have here the chief priests, the Jewish elites. They hate Jesus so much. They feel that he is such a threat that they are now going to, they are now in cahoots with the enemy. 
They are now going to Rome, to the occupier, to the oppressor, to the Roman Empire, to the governor of Rome, to Pontius Pilate, so that they could put an end to Jesus. Evil teams up with evil to put an end to good. Rome is the enemy. Pontius Pilate is a Roman governor. He is the face of the enemy. He is the oppressor, a dirty, filthy Gentile. So filthy that they're not going to enter into his headquarters, but they're going to wait outside. He is a filthy Gentile, but now they need this filthy Gentile to do their dirty deed. They're religious. They're outwardly pious. Outwardly keeping up appearances, but inwardly they're amazingly corrupt. And unfortunately, you and I can fall for the same trap. You and I can fall for the same trap. We put on our Sunday church face and we show up in our Sunday best and we project this religious piety. We, we project this, this outward appearance of righteousness and cleanliness. But inside, we can still be filthy. We can, like, I want us to be a church. I, I want to be the type of person, and, and, and I hope, I, hope, I want to be real. I want to be real. As I preach, as I'm with you one-on-one, I, I want to be real. There's no difference between you and me other than I'm just trying my best to be in the calling in my life. And that is a pastor and a preacher. That's it. I'm just do, trying to do my best, but I'm still a, a sinner saved by grace. I am still a sinner in need of a Savior. And I don't ever want to pretend. I don't ever want to put on some religious, pious face, nor should you. We are all sin addicts that need Jesus. We come to him, we plead our need, we, plead, we confess our sin, and we allow the gospel to work over us. Do not fall for the trap of religiosity. Come to church in all your filth. <laughs> come to church in whatever circumstance you have going on. Be real and allow the church to be the church. Allow each one of your Brothers and sisters around you, bring the gifts and the compassion and the heart that Jesus has put on them and let them minister to you. We have to fight religiosity. So these outward, outwardly pious, inwardly corrupt religious elite, they're teaming up with the enemy to put an end to Jesus. But it gets worse. So listen to the exchange here. Verse 29. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusations do you bring against this man? And they answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. So Pilate's like, So what does he do? What did he do? What crime has he committed? And the rulers of the Jews, these, these religious elite, they're like, Well, he did some stuff. He did some real evil stuff. Would we have brought him here if he hadn't done some really evil stuff? But they named no stuff. They got no stuff. They, he was, he's a sinless man. They named no actual crime, no actual evil, because they couldn't. He was without sin. He was actually 
righteous, both internally and externally, both in heart and in action. In verse 31, Pilate said to them, take them take yourselves and judge them by your own law. And the Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Right? Pilate's like, you've named no stuff, no actual crime, so you guys deal with it. And they confess, it's not lawful. It's not right for us to put anyone to death, especially an innocent man. It's not lawful for them. We can't do it. We hate him so much, but it would not be lawful for us to kill him because he's an innocent man. So we need you, filthy Gentile, to do our filthy deeds. How evil is this? They need Rome. They need Pilate, the dirty Gentiles, to do their dirty deeds of putting Jesus to death. It's not right for them to. It's not lawful for them to. What's really kind of cool about this whole thing is as they say it's not lawful for them to put him to death, like they, they didn't have cause. They couldn't even fabricate a cause. But if they did, do you, do you realize what form of death Jesus would have had at the hands of the Jews? Right? Jesus knew that he was going to die by crucifixion. He knew he was going to die on the cross, but that's not a Jewish mode of execution. If he were to be put to death by the Jews, it would have been stoning. Like if they would have had cause. But Jesus knew and foretold, he knew and told like he was going to die by hanging on a tree. By hanging on the Roman death tree. And actually what's crazy beautiful about all of this is that way back a thousand years before, King David foretold of this tree foretold of this death. Psalm 22, one of the great 300-plus messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. Psalm 22, verse 16 says, For dogs encompass me. Dogs is just another name for Gentiles. Filthy, dirty, Roman Gentiles. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. This is a thousand years before Jesus' crucifixion. And by the way, it's like 500 years before the invention of crucifixion. 500 years before it was even invented by the Persians. People say that crucifixion was invented by the Persians, perfected by the Romans. The beginning of Psalm 22 starts with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We attribute those words to Jesus, but King David knew those words way before. A thousand years before the crucifixion. It had to be Pilate because it had to be Rome, because it had to be crucifixion, and it's all going to plan. You guys get that? Like, we've said that over and over over the last couple of months as we've been going through the book of John. Like, this is all going according to plan. That's why Jesus would foretell his death. That's why Jesus 
told them that Judas was going to betray him, that, that even Peter would deny him. He's, he's telling them all of it before it happens because it's all going to plan. It had to be Pilate because it had to be Rome because it had to be crucifixion. It's all going according to plan. So the Jews, with their haughty religious worldview, right, viewing everything through the lens of their position, with them at the center, their appearance at the center, themselves at the center, they delivered Jesus over to the dirty Gentiles to do their dirty deeds. And now let's look at Pilate. Verse 33 again says, So Pilate entered his headquarters again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me, so what have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? So again, this interaction is fascinating. What you see here is Pilate and his Roman worldview, his empire worldview, colliding with Jesus and his kingdom worldview. Right? You have Pilate in this empire worldview, this secular, Christless, godless in a way, like Romans had gods, but like secular, Christless worldview. And you have Jesus, and his kingdom worldview, his gospel worldview. Pilate starts by asking, he says, are you king of the Jews? Jesus replies, he's like, did you say this of your own accord, or are you saying it because others have said it about me? Like, are you saying this because you, Rome, are concerned about it? Or are you saying it because the Pharisees and the high priests, they came to you because they hate me? It's like, look, your nation, your people, your own people, the chief priests have delivered you over to me, so what have you done? So then when Jesus answers, he's, he answers with, my kingdom is not of this world. By the way, that means he's a king. <laughs> he says, are you king of the Jews? And he says, well, my kingdom is this. My kingdom is not of this world. Your empire is of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. I love this. This is so, like, this is so today, by the way. The kingdom of God, Christ's kingdom, is otherworldly. It's not like this world. It's not like the world back a couple thousand years ago when Rome ruled, and it's not like the world today. If it were, Jesus said, my followers, my servants would have taken up arms. They would have taken up swords. They would be fighting for me because that's the mode of the world. That's the world's mode. That's the Roman Empire's mode. That's the mode of the world, to take up the sword and to bear arms and to fight. 
I'm not of this world. My kingdom is not of the world. My servants, my disciples, my followers are not of the world. That was in his prayer, last chapter, right? Chapter 17. He's called us out of the world and into him. So our goal is not the same. The same as the Roman Empire or the world, our mode of reaching the goal is not the same. Our goal is not the same. Our mode of reaching the goal is not the same. You see, the Roman Empire is conquest by the sword. It's conquest by force. Conquest by imposing yourself and opposing your will on others. To gain ground, to gain control, to affect the behavior of the subdued. It's the mode of the Roman Empire, and it's the mode of the world in every society, in every time, including the U.S. in the 21st century. You might not, I mean, it, it doesn't quite feel that oppressive because we still have a pretty awesome country. Even with all its woes, even with all its brokenness, like, we, like, I still believe that this is the greatest nation on God's green earth. Really is. We are blessed people. We are very blessed people. But the, the mode of the world has always been conquest by the sword. Conquest by imposition. By imposing yourself and your will on someone else. Right? We have laws that are put into place. Some of them are awesome and great and good. Laws against murder. Laws against rape. Laws that, that are imposed on us. And that there are consequences behind those laws that are good and right. But there are also other laws that are a little bit more like, you know, laws with taxes. Right? Got to pay your taxes. Anyone tried to not pay your taxes? I would advise not. Okay? If, if you don't pay your taxes, they will do something about it, won't they? Heard there's a whole slew of new agents that'll help do something about that. Right? Eventually, you don't pay your property taxes. Eventually, they come and take your house. Like, it is conquest by imposition. But Christ's kingdom, his worldview... His mindset is not like the world, not back 2,000 years ago, and not like the world now. It's not conquest of land or territory or even a conquest of behavior or morality. I'm getting a group of people to behave better or to do more good deeds and less bad deeds. The goal of conquest of Christ's kingdom is much more difficult because the conquest of Christ and his kingdom is a conquest of the heart. The most difficult territory to tame is the heart of man. In Christ and his conquest, his goal, his kingdom going forth is to conquer the hearts of man. So the goal is different, right? It's not territory. It's not uh, it's not land. It's not even to affect the behavior of the subdued. The, the goal of Christ and his kingdom is to conquer the hearts of man. You've heard it said, as you read in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Thou shalt not murder, but I tell you, if you have anger against your brother, right? Taking it from the act to the heart. You've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I tell you, 
you look with lust in your heart, it's the same thing. Not just conquering, not just a conquest of behavior, but a conquest of a heart. That's the goal of the kingdom of God. Let's read our text again, verse 37. It says, Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. I love this. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome, pretty plain right there. I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate then answers, what is truth? Classic, secular, Christless worldview. What is truth? Anybody like noticing that in our world today? The more I think things change, the more advancements I think there are, the more I realize that there's nothing new under the sun. The heart of man from the garden to now is the exact same. What is truth? A secular, godless, Christless worldview. Where I am, where man is at the center. Where truth is fluid. It's merely perceived. What's true for you may not be true for me. We see it today. We think it's a product of some classic postmodernism, but you can see that it has been around for centuries and centuries. In our rebellion, in our prideful hearts, we deconstruct everything. It's fascinating. I think about the secular world, like how the secular world used to die on science, right? Facts in truth. 100, 150 years ago, right? Classic evolutionists who embraced the theory of evolution would put, would put science opposed to God. They would pit science and God against each other. Like, you Bible believers, you God lovers, you Jesus freaks, right? You just have your faith. We've got science, They would pit science and God against themselves. And over the last hundred years, we've seen, we've had such beautiful scientific advancements. Whether it be the genome or whether it be in, 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 like all sorts of fields of study. We've had so many advancements and all of them are pointing more clearly, more clearly to God. And like right now, you have a worldview, a secular, Christless worldview in such rebellion to God that we're throwing out basic eighth grade biology. Like we can't define what a man is or what is a woman is right now. Like because we're in such opposition to Christ, we're throwing out science because it points to Christ and his design for us. What is truth? That's where you get with a Christless, secular worldview. You deconstruct everything. Pilate and the world are in rebellion to Christ, who is truth. Right? John 14, we read it a couple months ago. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
the world, the Roman Empire, our world today in rebellion to the word of God, in rebellion to his design. We're in such rebellion to God that we're going to throw out, like I said, just basic biology. Like Pilate, the world today says, what is truth? The fact is, the world is and always has been in rebellion against the truth. The world has always tried to keep the truth relative and fluid and always tried to undermine the words and design of God and it started way back in the garden. Started way back in the garden with a deceitful serpent who uttered the words, did God really say? That's where it started. That's where all of this started. It didn't start with Pilate, didn't start with the Roman Empire, didn't start with postmodernism, didn't start with a certain president or a certain whatever. It started Genesis chapter 3. Did God really say? This account of Pilate and Jesus is the perfect picture of the stark difference between the world and the kingdom. Stark difference between the world and the kingdom. The world is conquest by the shedding of blood, by the use of the sword, by imposition. The world is conquest by the shedding of blood, by the use of the sword. The kingdom is conquest by the shedding of his own blood and the wielding of truth, which is the sword of the word of God. Did you get that parallel? The world is the shedding of blood by the use of the sword. The kingdom is the shedding of his own blood and the wielding of the truth of the sword of the word of God. Right? Conquest by love. Agape love. Sacrificial love. Laying down his life. John chapter 15. Greater love has no man than this. That spotless lamb becoming our perfect sacrifice and covers our sin. Christ conquers hearts by the display of his love. He doesn't impose himself like the world imposes itself in its uh, attempt to conquest, uh, to, to, to conquer. Christ conquers hearts not by imposition, but by laying down his life. By the shedding of his blood, that beautiful display, God so loved the world that he gave his only son to be our sacrifice, to atone for our sins, to make us right before a holy God. We've got to remember what our battle is and who we're fighting and how we actually fight. We are not of the world. Some of us lose track of this. We run all over social media like Peter trying to defend Christ, and we end up lopping off a bunch of ears, swinging our sword around of truth, like a crazy kid like doing a lightsaber battle. Swinging that sword around, lopping off ears. By the way, those people need those ears to hear the gospel. Stop cutting off ears. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, Romans chapter 10. They need those ears to hear the truth. The Word of God is our sword. It is our truth. We fight with it. Remember Ephesians 6, right? Put on the whole armor of God. That's our offensive weapon, the Word of God. But how do we fight? We fight in truth. We fight in love. 
The kingdom of God is different than the world. The world is conquest by the shedding of blood, by use of the sword. The kingdom of God is the shedding of his own blood. That's love. That's love. That's love. And the wielding of truth, his word. Think about, is it, um, I believe it's Ephesians 4. Yeah, Ephesians 4, right? We deliver the truth in love. We deliver the truth in love. King Jesus establishes his kingdom by conquering hearts with the truth of his word through love. A beautiful word that we have, it reminds me of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is discerning of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That deceitful, untamable heart, the truth of his word gets right down into it. It's delivered in love. It's delivered in that shed blood on the cross. It's the beautiful thing about coming to Christ. I, I, I don't know what your story is and how you came to Christ, but it, it probably went something like this. You saw how much he loved you, and you handed your life over to him. That's how it should be. I know there's different stories. Like, I, like even, I, I think part of my mom's story is like, she'd like, part of her just giving her heart to Christ is she's just afraid to go to hell, right? Like, you come to that conclusion, like, you're like, oh, this, the consequences of sin is eternal damnation in hell? Give me Jesus. <laughs> like, right? A little bit of that. But hopefully as you mature and you see the gospel, you see how much he loves you. You saw his great love for you, and so you just handle, he conquered your heart. You just hand it over to him. And the truth of his gospel drives in deep. And through his word, through his spirit, by his love, we are changed. We too need to deliver that truth, the truth of God's word and love. In the same way Christ did. He didn't impose himself, but by the shedding of his own blood, laying down of his own life. We too, as God's people, not of the world, but of a kingdom, we further his kingdom as his disciples, make more disciples by holding out his word, the truth. In the same way, that sword holding out the same truth in the same love that he did. We don't belong to this world. We don't belong to the world, but we belong to his kingdom. So this morning, I invite you to check your heart and fight accordingly. Check your heart and fight accordingly. Fight properly. We're conquering hearts not mere behavior. And just as, as, just as Christ conquered our heart with his truth through love, we do the same for the world around us. We're on a rescue mission. We're on a rescue mission. We are people of the kingdom in this world to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in the love of Jesus Christ so that others might behold him and be conquered by him. As the band comes and we go back to a time of worship, 
I'm just going to ask you to do some business with the Holy Spirit today. Maybe you find yourself getting caught up in the, in the wrong struggles. Maybe you lost sight of the battle a little bit. Maybe today is just a, a reorientation moment for you. I, I, I've had my eye on the wrong battle. I've been off in the weeds a little bit. I need to get more fixed on the gospel. Jesus, help me. Maybe we've been fighting wrong. Maybe we've, had to, maybe we've just been complacent. Not gripped, not captured by what Christ has done for us and motivated to get out there and to conquer hearts with the truth of his word and with the love of Christ. Maybe we've been complacent. Maybe we've been wrapped up in ourselves. Today's the day to repent. And then let's get out there and fight appropriately. Jesus, thank you for this morning. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you that we do not belong to the world. We belong to a kingdom. Help us to never, ever forget that. Tomorrow, as we get up and we jump into another work week and we're getting ready for work and we're heading out the door, help us, God, to realize that it's not about any of that. Our jobs are just the context for the gospel. Our jobs are just the context for kingdom building, conquering hearts. God, let us do it well. Let us do it the way that you did it. By laying down your life, by holding out truth, by pushing against religious facades and bringing glory to your name as people who have been purchased by you, people who belong to you, people who no longer belong to this world and no longer belong to ourselves. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. God, let me spend this life for the glory of Christ. Thank you. We praise you. God, work in us, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Let's stand and let's sing together.